Sit back and relax with the Centurion Kickers podcast. I'm Dave, and here by myself today, I'll take you a little bit around the world of Conquest. On this particular start of a series that I'm doing, I wanted to do a bit of a faction focus on each of the factions for Conquest, but specifically, I wanted to go through this from the vantage point of that they are the best faction. So each of these is going to kind of have that as its delimiter. The, the purpose of that is to give people a reason to view the faction they might like as one of the better ones, or as the best one, or the best one for them. So the hope is that's of this that you get a little feel for each of them, a bit of a discussion. We'll talk a little bit about where to go if you're starting with them, play styles, all of that, as a primer for this as you're trying to maybe delve into this or expand out what you currently have. All right, so on this one, we're going to be going through the Old Dominion. I'm starting with the ones that I know best. We're going to start with a little bit of lore. Now, we're not going to go too in-depth with this. Um, we're going to uh, the an overview of it, really. We'll get a little bit of depth, but we're going to do something in the future with uh, a lot more detail to it. After that, we're going to go through a bit of their faction rules, the army play style, why you should play them, and if you're going to get into this, how to actually start. To speak of the Old Dominion, we kind of first have to talk about the primordial powers. So these powers are essentially what we would refer to as gods. This is life, death balance all these sort of of pieces and what humans what they ended up calling the um the first tribe what they ended up finding in a dwegholm hold was haslia this moat of primordial power and taking it back to their city the people essentially started worshiping it essentially they would ask something of the primordial power and it would answer it it would do for them what they asked. As this happened, they believed more. And as they believed more, this promote power, Haslia, grew more and more powerful. Um, essentially, what happens is that the more they believed, the more Haslia power grew, which means the more that Haslia could do for them. It got to an extent over you know, centuries that they were able to expand out this human empire. So all of it comes from the, oh, if you look at the map, the Far East, that's where the Old Dominion was, or still is for all intents and purposes. But from here, they had their main city capitus, and this became sort of a, a hallmark city of the world in terms of advancements, technology, and in terms of standing. So this large city essentially started sending out its emissaries and armies to other human settlements to bring them into the fold, to bring them into Haslia's light, if you want to see it that way. And what they found is that, again, yeah, when they asked something, Haslia could do it for them, meaning that they got more and more favor with him, meaning he got more and more powerful because they believed more and more, more and more prayers. And as this human empire expanded out, you had more and more people to do these prayers with as well. Over time, Hazelby became so drunk on the power that it even started creating its own pantheon. So it would take other primordial motes of power, infuse its essence and its will into them, and get them to bend to its will. This meant that not only was there this one deity, but now there was all these others. M much like if you think of Greek or Roman 
pantheons, how you have, you know, Zeus or, or Jupiter at the top, and then you have all these other groups that kind of come out from there and all these other gods. Essentially, that's what happened here. What happened over time, though, is that the humans started asking for too much. The empire grew too large. The request, the needs grew too much, and the splitting, the fracturing became too great. Hasley couldn't do everything that these people asked for. And as things started going unanswered, people started losing faith. And over time, through different theological breaks, through different creeds that had developed, through different schisming factions, that there was a group that thought humanity would be better if Hasliel was gone. That this wasn't actually a god, this was more of what was going to cause the downfall of humanity. Now, before this, or around this sort of time, you do get some other human factions, the city-states who split off the hundred kingdoms who left and went west, much like if you're familiar with 40k, this is very similar to what happened there with the fall of the Eldar, that you had Exodites and, and Dark Eldar and all these sort of factions, or the craft worlds that either split, left, stayed for various purposes. So some people essentially saw this fall happening. Well, the fall happened. This Splinter faction was able to destroy much of the Pantheon and able to strike down Haslia. Now, the problem with the primordial power is you can't truly destroy it. So you can rend it apart, but it's still there. And in Haslia's fall, it was able to find the prison for the primordial power of death. And in adjoining, we don't know really what it means. There may not be information exactly what it means. But in this joining, they were able to get what they call undeath. Um, some other things happened. We're, again, we're doing a little bit of an overview here, but essentially Hasley was fractured between power and will. And what this undeath did, essentially was able, Hasley was able to breathe this into the soldiers, the corpses and all that it had around. But essentially what it told them was a very simple statement, slay the living. This was the will of Haslia. Now, as time went on, as this power grew, some of them remembered who they were. Most of them are mindless husks, but there are levels of it. They talk about how the Praetorians do actually remember a bit of who they used to be. But as time went on, this will grew stronger, so they got more channeled and more focused. This meant that they were actually able to start marching out and trying to do what Haslia has asked of them. In the destruction of Capitus, in this birthing of unlife, of what they have, or undeath, it utterly destroyed the city. It actually caused the pyre, which is miles high beacon of, of pure energy, pure Hasley's energy, to be erupting from the middle. Anyone there was essentially destroyed. Um, the way you survived, they do talk about how there were some small factions, in particular when they talk about um, the final creed. These were devotees that survived because they were essentially in chambers underground and in the destruction, it, it didn't reach them. Almost everyone who was still mortal there was either destroyed or driven insane. There are some who weren't. The ones who were not, they call the anointed. That includes the prophet, the warlord, the speaker, the seer, the howler, the keeper, the branded, the whisperer, and the broken. 
these are essentially the ones now who vie for power, who control what happens to the old dominion, to the unalived hordes that they have. Um, they talk a little bit about the different faction. We'll get into that in a moment. But so through human's worship of this primordial pal Haslia, we grew and then through essentially growing too much, we cause our own destruction. We believed in this power. It couldn't answer all we wanted. And then we tried to destroy it. Well, let's take a look a little bit at the sub-factions. That's a, a brief introduction. For sub-factions, they list a total of three. We'll start with the legions. So this is essentially all of the undead. So when we think of this, um, one thing that Haslia put in terms of the first tribe, and whether it was it that put it there or whether this was something the tribes actually did themselves, it's not truly mentioned for sure. But one thing they did was mummification. So they preserve the bodies of their warriors specifically is, is where the legions would come from. But they preserve them with their armor, with all of their, their equipment and gear. Um, in particular, this was done throughout the empire. So much so was done in Capitus that there was an area for it called the postern that was, for no better purpose, catacombs. That's all of this was really for. So they had all of this. And when this joining of Hasley and death, this unlife was made, it infused into all of these bodies and it brought these legions back. Um, it talks about how the seer would actually take these bodies, sewing bits together that they have to make full warriors, so that way when they are breathed in this unlife, that they actually have an army. Um, it does mention how it took time for all of this to occur, and how it took time for the will of Haslia to truly become ingrained. But at this moment now, hundreds and hundreds of years later, this is the legions. This is the army, the most of it that you see. When we take a look at the pieces, we talked about how there was this pantheon. Um, Hesley broke himself into all these little bits and got all of these different gods, per se. And when the fall happened, many of them were struck down. But the ones that remained in Hesley's death throes, for a better lack of a better term, most, if not all of them, were driven utterly insane. And that gives us the fallen pantheon that we have now. The fallen divinity is obviously a member of that. But these are the gods and the particular worshippers to those that still remain. The other sub-faction is the final creed. So the final creed refers to the idea of slay the living. That was Hesley's last words, as the general inhabitants know. And this creed were the devout followers who survived the fall, heard these words, and tried their best to make it happen. They were led, as it turned into, by the prophet. This was a being who walked into the pyre to destroy themselves and came out later with a small bit of Hasleya's power. Over time, and essentially at war with the other anointed, it was determined to change this creed so that all the anointed were essentially equals above all kind of idea. And now together, they march out to enact what Hasley wanted, to destroy everything that's alive. So those are the 
three sub-factions that they give us, a little detail of them. Again, there's a lot more deeper videos. If you want more lore, especially in a deeper level, um, 2 Plus Tough does great lore videos related to all these factions. I wanted to go over a bit of it, but I, I don't want to just rehash what he did so well. But I want to give enough of a viewpoint so people know a little bit more about what this faction is. All right, so what we want to do from here then is we want to talk a little bit about the faction rules, how they play, how to get started with them, and, and why they're a great faction. So, tiny bit about the faction rules. What sets this faction apart from other ones is a few pieces. One is animate vessels. So it says, one, being an animate vessel makes you terrifying. Remember, this, the faction in general, is these unalived, these, these brought back mindless zombies, however you want to talk about it. There are a few alive pieces. There are cultists. These are people that over time walked their way to Capitus, to this destroyed capital, and either already driven insane or driven insane along the way, end up being devoted here as well. So there is some of that um, in the army itself. The Hyra Deacon is one of the ways to access some of these still alive um, units. But most of the army has the animate vessel rule. So most of these are terrifying. These are the undead. They can be inspired, but they can never take the inspire action. Um, for anyone new to the game, inspire means you get plus one to hit in close combat. It's to your clash ability. So one of the actions you can normally take is to inspire. Each round you get two actions. Normally you can take one inspire and then you get the swing. They cannot do that. The biggest thing with this army, one of its biggest rules that this does, is that if you have the animate vessel keyword, which most of the army does, means you don't have a resolve characteristic. In this game, resolve is one of the ways that realistically you lose about half of your models. Close combat is exceptionally deadly in this game because you take the damage that you get in close combat and then you take a resolve on any of that damage that you actually took. That means essentially you're able to take double damage on things. All of our animate vessels can't do that. They don't take resolve. If you would need to take a resolve test, you automatically pass it. If there's morale for anything, auto pass. There's times this was more important, especially in the previous edition of the game. There were certain things you had to resolve for more often. But this means, in general, you take a lot less damage. Now, you can still be broken and shattered. You can still be destroyed. But you don't take these extra hits. That especially means things like magic, because magic does cause a resolve. You don't take resolve from it. You take, in essence, half the damage from magic, half the damage from close combat. Certain types of shooting actually cause resolve as well. There's not much, but there's some. Um, so some trade-offs. One of the other big things they get is the memories of old. Memories of old are essentially their abilities that they get from remembering who they were. Remember, most of them are mindless. They do talk about the Praetorians remembering a bit of it. But most of this stuff is mindless. So as your units start dying, as your units get destroyed, they start remembering who they once were. They start remembering past glories of battle. And that's what Memories of Old does. So the biggest thing is if you have an vessel, every stand that gets destroyed, you get a Dark Power token. You can either put that to the Dark Power Pool or the Fallen Pantheon. The Dark Power Pool buffs your units. The Dark Pantheon buffs the Fallen Divinity. It does a little bit for the units at some points as well, but it really is a big split. Now, in the current edition of the game... Um, they just updated the rules. You essentially, tier one is no benefits. Tier two to four is where you get benefits. 
it now takes nine tokens to get to tier two. So you either have to have nine stands disappear, nine uses of certain spells, nine bits of Blasma Soma. We'll talk about that briefly. But essentially, you need to get to nine of these in either pool to start getting effects. To get to tier three, you need 18. Tier four takes 23. But you do need certain leaders, certain warlords, in order to do that. Um, for what they do, let's discuss it very, very briefly. Dark power. Level one, nothing special. Level two, your memories of old, which are normally... Um, you have to spend an action to do, so this is you remembering who you were, they start becoming draw events. So when you draw out that unit, when it's their turn to go, boom, you get these abilities automatically. Um, for tier three, you get them as draw and as an action. Some abilities in this game, if, uh, the general rule is if it says plus one, then you can stack it. So if you have a memories of old cleave plus one, that means if you get to and tier one where you start, you can spend an action, cleave one. Tier two, draw the card, cleave one. Tier three, you draw the card, clear one, sorry, cleave one. And if you want, you can action for an additional cleave one. So that would make you cleave two. The other key feature is that you will always count as inspired unless you are broken. So we said before, you can't take the inspired action. If you get to tier three, you're always inspired. They mentioned that, um, oh, right there, sorry, um, in red. Tier 4, you know, I said you need certain characters to be able to do that, but if you're Tier 4, um, if you have Animate Vessel, so um, enemy units will take one extra wound when they roll 6 on the Resolve if they're in with one of these units. Um, they don't cause further morale tests, but you actually do start destroying more of their stuff. If you go with the Fallen Pantheon, so this, like I said, this is solely for the Fallen Divinity, Essentially, it gets its better profiles. It does heal a bit, and the Fall Divinity gets much better as it goes up. The big thing is Tier 3. When you get to Tier 3, um, where is it? There it is. If you're within 10 inches, you add plus 2 to the attack's characteristic. So friendly regiments, they get extra attacks. They gain Dauntless as well, but they do start taking wounds, so it starts destroying them. The big key to remember with this is normally you get to choose which pool it goes into. The Fallen Divinity has a rule. If you are close enough to the Fallen Divinity, the tokens must go to it. Um, the other key rule for this army that helps out is Blasphemous Soma. Now, this used to be an arcane item that you'd have to take one of your wizard or priest class to be able to get. But now it's just if your warlord's on the battlefield in the supremacy phase of the round, gain a power token. This is both good and bad. That means your warlord has to be there. And that means if your warlord is destroyed, you start losing it. But you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to take casting classes anymore. So this is the army's rules. This is what these guys do. So you are the undead. You do not care about resolve. You do not get scared. But you're a bit weaker to start with. Um, that takes us into army playstyle. The big thing with army playstyle, this is a late game army. This is an army that's going to struggle in the beginning of the game. One, because our light choices, most things are medium and heavy, but our light choices, obviously lights can't score for you, but our light choices are are rather soft and squishy. Um, your normal units, your legionnaires, are nothing to write home about in the beginning. Your Praetorians, a little bit better, but there's no cleave, those sort of aspects. This is an army that really wants its specialized units, I feel, to be able to get a lot of good out of them. 
but even they start very weak. Oftentimes in the beginning, you don't have these rules because you don't have draw events. You just have these memories of old. So this is an army that when you start getting to higher tiers, when you get to tier two or tier three, they really start to shine. This is an army that really, I think, doesn't do that great. You're, you're going to be losing the game until maybe turn five. So you're not going to be looking good for about the first five turns of the game. But the last several turns of the game, you are going to start outshining your opponent. You will have less models. Because keep in mind, one of the main ways to gain this power is by destruction. You'll have less models, but your models are going to be much better. And in particular, some of these units get a lot stronger. When we take a look at the Varangian Guard, um, this is a strong unit that gets much better when it starts getting its memories of old. We see the same thing with any, honestly, just about any of them, the Cataphracti. The Cataphracti gain a lot. When they gain shock through memories of old, get a lot better. Um, the Cares, when you want to cast magic and they're one die per stand and then they get to go to a plus one, they start getting to two. And if you're tier three, you could do it again. They get to three if you really want to cast a big spell. All of this stuff really helps. So if you are the type who is going to either be one, bothered by losing units, or two, going to get discouraged if it's going very bad for you in the beginning, then this is not the army for you. Um, so playstyle-wise, I see that this is an army that, at least to me, often, uh, there's really two ways to build it. You build for Fallen Divinity, or you do not build for it whatsoever. If you're building Fallen Divinity, there's really probably some key pieces that you want in there. You probably want a Hyra Deacon because the Hyra Deacon has ways of destroying stands of your own. Um, if you destroy your own stand with an animate vessel, then you get the power token, so you can start buffing up the Fallen Divinity. It also has a spell to be able to do this as well. So when you do this, if, if you want to go Divinity, you really want to key in on divinity if you were going otherwise then some of these ones aren't quite as needed you can absolutely go in very different directions the big key feature with the fallen divinity is actually sorry about the pause there the one key feature with the fallen divinity is that the stats as you see here don't get me wrong it's good but the first tier not really not for 300 points we're looking, okay, you have 10 wounds, you got 8 attacks, you have cleave 1, which is nice, hardened, so you ignore a bit of someone else's cleave, you get some impact attacks, you can come in when you want, but when you get to tier 2, so when you can get to those 9 tokens, you get more attacks, more wounds, you'll notice that um, the defense goes up and evasion goes down, but hardened 2 now, you're more terrifying, you start getting higher cleave, more impact, you start getting more and more rules, such that, notice, Terrifying 3 at this last level, Brutal Impact 3, so now its impacts it's really start doing some damage. Um, blessed all these sorts of pieces, it really starts shining when it can actually get to higher levels. So like I said, that's why things like the Hyra Deacon become very important for it, because with the Hyra Deacon, you have rules like Black Supplication, which puts a power token in. You have Dark Shepherd, you can destroy your own units to be able to start put, getting these tokens. So if you're going Fallen Divinity, that gives you a bit of that vantage point. If you're not, then you are probably looking at Stratigos or Zilliarch. Um, Zilliarch or Killiarch, that's your much more killing character. Um, your Stratigos is much more utility. 
in particular warlord trait for the Shatigos, I think is great. It gives you some re free, free reform actions. I've used that on Cataphracty to essentially move back, reform, charge back in, really get some damage onto someone. Um, you have Mount of Shatigos, of course. So you have your casters in these two, in the Archimandrite and the Hierodeacon. Personally, I run a lot of Archimandrites often. I usually run one because it does have healing spells, and I find healing for this army. To one, be able to keep them around for that late game, it doesn't do you any good. Yeah, if you're more powerful, if you have nothing left. Um, but as you get more um, levels for your power, the Archimandrite heals better. That means, one, you can get stands back. And two, that means you have more stands to lose, because I can get back a stand with a few wounds, you take it off, I got a dark power. That was worth casting a spell for. Um, if you are going, like I said, otherwise, you are looking at the Shatigos or Zilliarch as you're more combat-oriented. Um, Unit-wise, again, it really depends on what you want to do. Um, Legionnaires are the mainstay of this army. You're going to need Legionnaires when you talk about what to buy. You're going to be building a bunch of Legionnaires because that is a mainstay of almost every single unit. Some of them currently, for what's out, is the almost the exclusive mainstay. Um, you have a mixture of light, medium, heavy. You only got a few lights. For, I forgot about cultists being a light as well. They're not out yet, so I don't have to think about them. Oh, sorry, and the Centaur Potomoy are light as well. Legionnaires are your mainstay. Um, Cataphracti are your currently very good cav unit. We do have some other cav units, um, the centaurs who are not out yet, um, both forms of them. I find this army kind of tough to run without bringing guard. One of the big problems this army has is a lack of cleave, a lack of way to get through people's armor. So if they don't have armor, you have great ways. You have units with tons of attacks, Athen and Toy. You can get through people, but if someone's heavy, if someone's really prepared, you need a unit that can get through them. Varangian Guard of that unit. Um, so that's a bit about playstyle. That's a little bit about the units. Um, we're going to be doing more in-depth related to these units as well, but I want to just give some sort of ideas. Mostly focusing on the units that are currently available at this time, because they're the units that you're going to be playing with. Um, we have some other ones that we're waiting on, and hopefully, if you notice, most of our stuff here is in. So hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we'll have every single tool available to us. Alright, so now that we've discussed, essentially, a bit of the lore, we've talked about the faction rules, we've talked a bit about their play style. Let's discuss why you would want to play this as an army. Um, now, there's the obvious reasons that if any of the things we've talked about truly interest you, if you find the lore, and like I said, they do a lot more on their website, but if you find that lore exceptionally entertaining and engaging, that's a good reason to do it. Um, if you think the faction rules really fit for you in your current playstyle, that's a great reason to do it. Or if just the army playstyle in general fits the way and the look that you want, go for that as well. One thing I should mention that I don't believe I mentioned before, at least in the uh, particular cuts you'll get of this, is that this is not a horde army. Usually undead armies tend to be more the horde armies in a game. This is very much the opposite. This is one of the most elite armies that they have. If you're looking for hordes, Spires fits more of your hordes. You could run Nords as hordes. A hundred kingdoms could do it as well. You could probably run hordes in many spots, but in reality, you're really not going to get it out of this this army, or at least not not in a good form that you want. 
So why play them? Um, obviously, aesthetics is always a thing. So, so this army has a Roman slash centurion sort of look to them. Um, actually, when I was picking armies at first, I didn't realize that they were undead. I just saw Roman-looking models. I said, yeah, that's great. And then I zoomed in, and I noticed, actually, it was uh, a bunch of zombies and, and things like that and ghouls. I still absolutely love it. I, I greatly enjoy it, but I didn't realize that at first. So I, I went pure off of the aesthetic. That's actually how I picked from the seven factions that were at the time. City-states were not out when I first made my first army selection. So, I mean, if you like the aesthetics, if you like the look, this sort of army goes very well with painting a lot of different types of metals by doing a lot of vetigris or rusting corrosion sort of effects. Since you're looking at a lot of these models that, or units, I should say, that would have been in catacombs, would have been there for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years, depending on when they came out. We're talking also about a lot of just very interesting units. So when we take a look, we, we have some of them here. Um, in particular, let's pull up some that I think are some of the more unique ones. If we take a look at, say, Bone Golems. But we take a look at these. These guys are, for all intents and purposes, walking cemeteries. So this is an army with some very different types of units. But when you think about some of the other ones, when you think of the Nords, say, Hundred Kingdoms, most, I mean, I mean, Nords have a variety of Jotnar and some other creatures, but when you look at some of these other pieces, there's some similarity there. That's an army that gets varied. When you think of Hundred Kingdoms, all reasonably similar. Spires, yes, the looks change, but it's all very alien, very different. I think this is one of the armies, like I said, Nords as well, um, that really vary up their look. I think that's true of a lot of the other ones. You can say what Druin as well, but if you like these sort of Roman legionnaire looks and then statues and that sort of type, I, I think it really fits it very well. So that's one particular thing that we have. Um, for other reasons, this is an army that I feel breaks the rules the most. Um, here's what I mean by that. Resolve is a big component of this game. That is a lot of the ways in which you are going to remove models from the board or at least hamper units. We don't take that. It's not a thing here. Um, having terrifying on all of your animate vessel units which again currently is every unit that's out and once the whole line is out it's most of the units that are out is a great rule so not only do we not take resolve we hurt your resolve um i i think those sort of pieces as well as this dark power pool so having essentially your own separate tracker of things that you need to worry about concern yourself with especially say during list building this is one of the ones where I think the list building really can become somewhat complicated if you are, say, wanting to run the Fallen Divinity because a list with her, I'm going to refer to it as her, a list with her in it is very different than any other list that you're going to build out of this army because you have these two essentially competing trackers and you have to figure out what or how much stuff do you want to put into that one. I mean, the Divinity really only starts to shine if she can start climbing those levels. But that means the rest of your army isn't shining the same sort of way. Now, there are some either banners or equipment or relics and, and items like that that can help out a little bit and change things up. But this is an army where it does break quite a few of the basic game rules. And it adds to a lot in terms of when you are building out your forces. I think, in my mind, this sort of has the two biggest divergences there when you look at the, essentially, Legion's sort of main form of the army, or the Fallen Divinity as the other sort of the army. So if you really want 
I don't want to use the word diverse playstyle because I think all of these factions have a diverse playstyle. But if you want a very divergent playstyle, if you want to be the type of player that is playing something that really breaks and alters the rules of the base game, I think this is a good way to do it. All right, now, um, other thing I want to mention is how to get started with this army. So, if you decide that you do want to get into this, um, the prices shown here are all US as of time of recording this. Obviously, everything is subject to change. Um, the best bet for any of these factions is going to be the one-player starter. Now, the one-player starter does kind of get you into one particular type of list. When we take a look at what comes in this one-player starter. Click on that. There we go. So, they show all the pieces there, but we notice that you're going to get... Um, a bunch of legionnaires slash Praetorians. You're getting 24, so you're getting six stands. In general, those six stands are probably just going to be legionnaires. If you don't, if you have a very particular list built that doesn't really need them, sure. Most lists need them, or most lists want them. Most of your mainstays legionnaires, so you're probably going to want a bunch of stands of legionnaires. You have six, sorry, three cataphracti, which is a great start. Um, it comes with Stratigos, which is the one who can take the cataphracti, so that's your one way to get them. And then you do have a box or a, a three-stand piece of the Anathotoi. Um, normally, you can build them as Varangian Guard as well. He cannot take the Varangian Guard, um, I believe. I say that, and now I am less sure of it. So let me just take a quick look. Yes, he does not. Okay. I was right. <laughs> so this is a great way to start an army. Um, if you begin with this, if you do nothing else, it's going to take you pretty far. Actually, let's take a look and see how far it's going to get you. All right, so what I did here is I opened up the builder, and let's just talk about what you would get. So, with that warband, you would have to take your Satigos as your leader. He is going to get a three set and the toy. He is going to get some Legionnaires. Notice he can take Cataphracty, and he can also take Praetorian. So if you wanted, you could do them as a Praetorian block. I'm just going to do it as extra Legionnaires. So I'm going to up this for the current moment to six stands of Legionnaires. Just because I think that's what I'm going to need sooner or later. We're looking at base just about 700 points, 695. That's without any upgrades on the Stratigos. That's without any upgrades really to anything else. Um, I think when you're taking Cataphracty, I think at minimum when you have a Cav unit, you're going to want that standard bearer because you're going to want those rerolls. You don't want to miss your charges. Cataphracty are good on the charge, and then once they're kind of stuck in, they suffer greatly. So you're going to want that. And like I said, this is currently no upgrades on the Stratigos. There's plenty of upgrades, plenty of things you can do, and we're going to do some less building stuff as well. But you could easily get this to 750. That's a really good starting point for a lot of armies. That's a spot where you can play the game. It's not going to feel exactly like the full game, but it's going to give you a feel for the army. It's going to give you enough to go with, and it's going to tell you whether or not you're enjoying yourself. If you do that from there, where do you go? Um, other good options, I would say, with him, then I would want to start breaking into some of the other leader models, start making some other types of warbands. If you want to go Fall of Divinity, go for it. That's a very particular style. Go grab it. Go for it right away. If you're not sure, or if you want to wait on something like that, I would probably personally, since you already have a fighting or more fighting style character, I would probably go an Archimandrite or maybe even a Hierodeacon. I'd probably do Archimandrite though. And then I would pick up some of the light options. I'd pick up one of the boxes or two of the Maroi slash Cares 
so that way you have some other light units, you have some good harasser units, and you get some models out in the early part of the board. Um, if you are going that option, it gives you the chance to get into bone columns if you want to go for something more heavy. If you want Varangian card and all of that, you really should probably start going towards the Zilliarch. Um, remember, he can be in there and not necessarily be your leader, but that's probably the way I would expand from there. If you didn't build your stands as Legionnaires, if you built some of those Praetorians, I'd probably get more Legionnaires. Um, you, you, the previous box... No, this box is actually pretty good for that as well. If you really like the Cataphracti, if you really like running those sort of style, there's nothing wrong with going with a second set, second one of the starter sets. Because with a second starter set, you could really lean into what you do there. You'll have two Stratigos. You are actually allowed to take two. I don't necessarily think you need to. But you would have two. That's okay. You might build a swap for something else. Or maybe do a little bit of a kit bash to make it look like something different. Or, while you're playing friendly games, Proxies is one of the other characters. But the extra Legionnaires and Praetorians won't lead you astray. Uh, me, myself, I have six Cataphracti. I often run four or five, or I think I run six a couple times, but mostly I run four to five. So the extra in there is actually really useful. And the Athena Toy slash Varangian Guard is one of the newer kits, and it's absolutely a great kit. And the models do a lot for you. So that's an overview for this faction. Hopefully people found this helpful. Um, this is going to be up on YouTube. We're also going to put up an audio-only form on our Podbean, so our podcatcher. Um, let me know below what you think. Is there spots that you like, you don't like? What do you want to see when we I talk about the other factions? My goal is to go through each of them. We want to do this as a light treatment is the plan, and then I want to have the other guys on is the hopeful goal for doing heavier treatments, so really going through and analyzing, much like we've done for 30K or anything else these armies, these factions, these units, all of that. So we do want to do that. All right, well, hopefully this gave everyone a taste of what you can get out of this game. Now, on behalf of everyone here at the show, have some good hobbying and some great gaming.